Sessions podcast. I am your host, Marcus Moore. Today, we will continue part two of our discussion on the following topic, freedom of speech and prophecy. Whether we know it or not, prophecy has become a buzzword in the popular church. All someone really has to do is advertise that they're having a prophetic conference to attract a number of people from all types of backgrounds who are curious about their future. Over the years, there have been numerous books written about the prophetic ministry. Why is this the case? Well, I would imagine that one reason is because it sells. But what are we really selling? What is actually being sold here? I would argue that much of the reason we are so drawn to prophetic ministry, in particular popular prophetic ministry, is its connection and tie to power and ego and popularity. We are often so fascinated at the idea of someone being able to see or peer into the future or even our present and provide us with information that might be helpful to us. In other words, it is often about us more than it is about the preacher or even the prophet, our attraction to the prophetic or prophecy. And mind you, I'm a lover of the prophetic, so I know how that feels. We often wanna hear what we believe to be God for ourselves that might come from someone else instead of from within. And to some extent, there is nothing wrong with that. However, there are some significant issues with the current prophetic culture that I think we should address, particularly in relation to our topic, freedom of speech. With the advent of social media, anyone with a phone or computer can publish a prophetic word and say it's from God without question. Additionally, many of these same individuals have taken up political issues to argue that they are on the right side of the triune God. There was an article that was published on, I believe, January 24th, 2021, regarding the recent election. The article highlighted the fact that evangelicals compared Donald Trump to King Cyrus and Samson in the scriptures. In contrast, these same folk compared Vice President Kamala Harris to Jezebel. You don't have to be religious to know that Jezebel is a negative connotation or representative figure. Jezebel was known in the scriptures to be a fierce enemy of Israel's prophets and a friend to the prophets of Asherah. Elijah, the prophet, prophesied that Jezebel would be devoured by dogs. This came to pass after Jezebel was thrown out of the window by two eunuchs. This story is quite graphic and even disturbing. We often we too often romanticize scripture and gloss over the disturbing or gory parts when preaching from the pulpit. We don't often really concentrate or give attention to some of the more uncomfortable 
parts of scripture that we can't really explain. So I tend to think we, we do that to avoid having to really clarify the righteousness of God in all of it. But back to my point, to name Vice President Kamala Harris, Jezebel, in the name of God, I would say is equally disturbing. Vice President Harris is a wife, she's a college graduate, she's an accomplished politician and attorney, and not to mention, she's a human being. And because she's a public figure, we for some reason, particularly in the popular church, think it's okay to name call, because that is truly what it is. It is name calling. I would even say name shaming. Someone who's never had a public scandal, which is very different from her opponent at the time, Donald Trump. But because she takes a different stance on political issues associated with the rights of others, we think it's okay to do so. I often kind of consider this kind of advertisement, if you will, as what we might see in the tabloids, right? We often see some of the, the uh, uncomfortable, disrespectful, blatant disrespectful comments about uh, popular figures uh, in Hollywood, in the tabloids. Think about, think about it this way, particularly as it relates to the church. Would you name call or name shame someone in your local assembly or church publicly because of a disagreement? Would you want your mother referred to as Jezebel because of opinions that she might have about something that differ from you or the masses? The church has a long, terrible history of witch hunting and name calling, all being done in the name of Jesus and or even prophecy. I've often said that witch, the fact that we like to use the term witch in the popular church, has really taken the place of another uh, profane word that we may have used when we weren't saved you know, to call each other or something like that, right? It's a very uh, disrespectful term that has become quite common, particularly in apostolic and prophetic churches. What's, what's interesting about the flurry, this kind of flurry of prophetic words and, and uh, you know, commentary on social media is that many of these uh, individuals claim to be accountable you know, to a leader or to a pastor. Many of them claim to have been trained in the prophetic, which is another interesting point that I won't get into, but would definitely lead me to want to interrogate the kind of training these, these individuals are receiving. I would argue that this kind of behavior is very irresponsible. Many of us would like to think that modern prophets function in the same way as they did in the Old Testament. But the fact of the matter is, none of us do. 
The Old Testament prophets were part of a nation that functioned as a theocracy. If prophets functioned in the same capacity as they did in the Old Testament, then they should be regulated and handled in much of the same way they did during the time, that particular time. But that is not the case. And we can't advocate for the same rights and privileges and benefits of a system that no longer exists because we don't live in that system anymore. I hold the same argument for modern day prophets and apostles who posture themselves to be similar to the apostles in the New Testament. The fact is we are not them. We aren't even close. And if we're going to masquerade around like we are the Apostle Paul or any of the original 12, then we also probably should take on those same battles, their unique circumstances, and even to the degree of them experiencing martyrdom. Most of us claiming to be like the original 12 would probably run at the, the mention of martyrdom, even if we are too arrogant to admit it. Why? Because we haven't had to live under such conditions. And to be quite honest, I no longer want to be a part of a culture, a prophetic culture in particular, that gets off on its cannibalization of the very folk that we are expected to be a light and a witness to. I think we are too often inclined to behave this way prophetically because of our innate desire to gossip and, and to slander and to tear each other down. When we were in the world, we, we participated in such behavior. And I find it interesting that we would bring such behavior into the church only to mask it with what we call discernment and prophecy or the activity of the spirit. Shame on us to blame our frailties, our behavior, our inclinations that we can't fully explain on the Holy Ghost or on a God that's much bigger than we could ever imagine. But this unfortunately has happened all too often in many church atmospheres, in particular apostolic and prophetic atmospheres. I've seen it way too much. I actually had a friend who was a member of a church that I'm familiar with. During the time that he attended this church, his future was, was bright. It was amazing. Literally, literally, the prophecies that would come from leadership would be so profound and uh, carry so much promise regarding him reaching levels of fame and, and ministry and, and wealth and so on. But the moment he decided to transition to another ministry and relocate, those same prophetic voices changed their tune. And all of a sudden, the prophecies would be doom and gloom. All of this was done in the name of the Lord. With these individuals claiming they were speaking as the Lord's representatives. Even sadder than, th than that for me is the fact that we too often have bought into this kind of behavior and have become complicit in it. 
It happens so often, particularly in apostolic and prophetic churches. One of the challenges we are happy uh, that I believe is happening in our world today um, as an ongoing persistent issue is this issue of racism. I'm so very thankful for prophetic voices like Frederick Douglass and James Baldwin and Martin Luther King Jr. and so many others that have significantly helped to pave the way for us to have the many freedoms we enjoy today. Like many of the prophets in the Bible, they weren't always partakers of the prophetic promises they communicated that carried generations into their future. But their words, their truth-telling, their prophetic acts signaled profound change for the generations after them. True prophecy does just that. It doesn't titillate or tickle the soul or our egos, which unfortunately so often happens in prophetic circles. Everyone wants a prophetic word to hear what their future holds for them. And often we want to hear something good. We want to be told, uh, you know, something good about uh, what's next in our lives. I would argue that prophecy more often than it, it, it does today in many circles is designed to broaden our capacity to build, to withstand and navigate a future reality that is not here yet, but in protest of our current reality. Part of the challenge we have as truth tellers or prophetic messengers is to avoid the human tendency to point the finger at the transgressor without recognizing our role in perpetuating systems of oppression ourselves. We must be willing to be self-reflective as we assess the culture in light of the gospel. At the end of the day, we are all guilty, even if we aren't fully aware of our complicity. So what does prophecy as truth-telling look like, particularly in a culture that uses Romans 13 to silence the voices of those in protest of racism, misogyny, and sexism? To me, it looks like Jesus standing up in the synagogue, reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It also looks like Frederick Douglass at Corinth Hall in Rochester, New York, giving his July 5th, 1852 speech and keynote address. What to the slave is the 4th of July? In it, he asks, are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? I would argue that it also looks like those fighting in the trenches of the boardroom, the legal system, the education system, the political system, 
and other areas doing whatever we can to advocate on behalf of those who are ill-equipped or unable to do so themselves. It is what James Luther Adams refers to in his book, The Prophethood of All Believers. Thank you again for joining me in today's podcast, Prophetic Times and Seasons. I am your host, Marcus Moore. Thank you for tuning in.